Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Got it right, but it teaches us how to have a relationship with one another in such a way that we can grow, enjoy one another, and do life together where it's you know, it, it produces happiness and joy. And so it's been my desire that during this series, we've learned some things about how to relate to one another. And uh, we don't have too many examples of, I would say, continuity, do we, in our lives. Even our jobs now, uh, jobs now, you don't stick around on your job that long. It's pretty unheard of for someone to work 20 years at one job and retire. Uh, I read that 39% of job recruiters believe the biggest obstacle for an unemployed candidate is having a history of job hopping. It said a 58-year-old with a steady employment history is easier to place than a 30-year-old job hopper. And uh, the median time worked for an employee nowadays is 4.6 years, and then they move on. Uh, the, media, the median tenure for someone 65 or over is 10.3 years. So there's a different mindset with the different generations. Uh, get this, the average length of a marriage, 8.2 years. 8.2 years. 42 to 45% of first marriages end in divorce. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. 73% of third marriages end in divorce. That is a staggering statistic. And what I, when I see those kind of statistics, I, you kind of have to look for the common denominator, you know, in those. What, what is that? And so I think the church, you know, we should be about seeing those stats changed. I mean, the church should be about seeing couples healed and happy and pursuing God together and I realize that in this moment, at this time, whatever's gone before is done. Whatever we've experienced, whatever we've seen, the only thing we have is now. We have this moment. And it's how we're going to navigate the future with our present spouse or our future spouse that's going to make the difference. Because we cannot go back and change any of that. But we can have hope for the next day and the next day and the next day. And we can work on our relationships right now that we have. And so, you know, I want you to pray with me and uh, let's pray for this this morning. And let's pray that the Lord indeed would begin to work in his body, in his church, to see a healing come to relationships. And also a healing to those who have lost loved ones. And that the Lord, you know, scripture says the Lord is very close to the brokenhearted. He's, he's so close to the brokenhearted. And so, Lord, this morning, I ask for your help uh, as I share your word. And I do pray, Lord, this morning for those that are in this building who have suffered the loss of a loved one. I pray your presence right now, God. I pray you would comfort the brokenhearted. You would be a very present help in time of need. And, Lord, for those with us that are struggling in their relationships, struggling in their marriages. Lord, we pray for your help and we pray for hope for a different relationship, for a better relationship, that you would come and grant us hope. 
Lord, I need your help this morning. I ask that you help me in my weakness, that you give me the gift of teaching over the next few minutes, Lord. Let the church hear what they need to hear from you, Lord, and be encouraged by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the staff is working on uh, putting together some small groups and different things for marriages. And, and so if you're interested in that, please see Jay that was up here, Pastor Jay. He'll be out in the lobby. And look, if you want counseling, whether you want to see whether you need some pastoral counseling or professional counseling, marriage counseling, see Pastor Skip. Skip, wave your hand in case they don't know. Go here, play in the base, executive pastor there. He... Uh, he will guide you in the right direction. You can go see him and he will help you with those resources. You know, God approaches relationships a little different than we do. God's idea uh, for relationships is based in what's called a covenant. Now, we don't use that term very much, a covenant. And, but that's God's idea. That's how he relates with us. And that's how he expects us to relate with one another. And that's especially true in our marriages. And Here's a definition of a covenant. It's a sacrificial commitment to the good of the other. Love is more fundamentally action than emotion. It's what we do. That is, that's a part of a covenant. A covenant is binding. It's uh, the good of the relationship takes precedence over the immediate needs of the individual. It's the two shall become one, and in that one of the two, now the two work for that new entity. They do all they can to see that that entity is healthy and that it survives the way God intended for it to. Uh, I think the best, maybe the best example of a covenant relationship is if you've ever had children, you know that's a covenant relationship. You would sacrifice everything for them. You'll do whatever it takes for them, and there is nothing that will separate that. You're in covenant whether they ever pay you back, whether they ever say thank you, whether they ever smile at you, especially teenage years, do all of that. Whether they do all of that, you are in covenant. So you love them, you care for them, you give to them, your children, right on through. That's kind of the closest picture of uh, maybe a covenant that I can give you in our day. But in our day... Uh, things have kind of changed because we don't see marriages as a covenant. Um, I'm going to give you a fancy word this morning. The word is commodification. Kind of seems to go with that song off of ETV. Commodification. It's like something junction. Wasn't that but commodification. Commodification. Can you say that? Commodification. Commodification. Yeah, that's our culture's idea. In other words, it's consumer-centric. It's what I can get out of it. Not so much what I can give and what I can sacrifice, but what I can get out of it. it, it consumeristic or consumer-centric relationship is like, if you deliver the goods, I will pay you. The better you do, the better the pay. You have no obligation to the original vendor if they don't deliver the goods. They don't deserve the payment. The individual's needs are more important than the relationship. That's a consumer or a commodification of the marriage covenant. It's, it's like a business arrangement. Like when I'm not getting paid, if I'm not getting back from you what I'm investing in, I'm going to sever the relationship. This is not a good business partnership. I mean, it's not good, right? But that's not the way God set it up. 
You know, our marriages now are like, if we cease to make a profit, that is when the relationship appears to require more love and affirmation from us than we are getting back. So we cut our losses, drop the relationship. Now, I know that's a process because so many of us have worked so hard to get the relationship to a certain place and it hasn't worked. And also I want to say this, I realize there are valid reasons for a divorce. And we'll talk about that at another, in another sermon. But I'm talking about those of us who are Christians in committed relationships right now. We're married and we're headed the right direction, but we're struggling and we don't know what this is about. See, marriage is, is a, it's a, it's not a commodity. It's a covenant. And here's the, di- we, we kind of see it as a contract. Like we, we stand up and take our vows and it's kind of like entering into a contractual agreement, Right? Like, I'm going to enter into this contract with you, though we say, though we say, you know, in sickness and health. Really, we're saying in my sickness, in your health, you will love me. I don't know. I can tell you this. When I took my vows, I was not thinking about sacrificing for my wife at the time. (laughs) I was thinking about me. Let's get this thing done so I can get on the road to the honeymoon. That's where I wanted to go. But a covenant is a whole different thing. A covenant is a whole different thing. And a contract, see, is for a limited time. I mean, you buy something, you have a contract with something, you know it's going to be invalid after a certain period. It's going to be up. It deals with specific actions. If you do this, I will do that. If you don't do this, I will do this. It's based on an if and then. If you do this, then I will do that. That's a contractual agreement. That's the mentality of a contract. And it's motivated by the desire to get something from the other person. But a covenant is different. A covenant is what God has with us. A covenant is initiated for the benefit of the other person. I mean, the Lord, when he established the new, you know, his relationship with us through Jesus Christ, that covenant he established with Jesus, he does not need us. He wants us. He loves us. But he doesn't need us. So he gives himself to us. He gives forgiveness, his presence. He gives himself to us. That's the difference in a, in a covenant. It's for the benefit of the other person. Not himself. People make unconditional promises. There's no conditions to my loving you. I'm going to love you come hell or high water. I'm going to love you. I'm committed to you. It's based on a steadfast love. A covenant love is. And the commitment is taken and committed to is permanent when we do it. And the relationship for it to be like this requires a conflict. Confrontations, forgiveness, resolution, and recommitment. I mean, it doesn't mean you just let the other partner, you know, do what they want. No, sometimes there has to be a confrontation. Hey, this isn't good for this relationship. So there's a confrontation, but then there's forgiveness that's extended. Then you resolve the issues, and then you recommit to them. And I guess that's... That's the picture of a covenant love. We do that over and over and over. We have to confront our behavior many times. We extend forgiveness to one another. We resolve our issues as best we can. And then we recommit again, back into it again. 
And then life is that step after step after step after step. And then one day you look back in 50 years. You've been doing that for 50 years. 60 years. You look back and wow, look where we've come from. Because we saw it as a covenant. And you know, our vows are not just, as Christians, our vows are not just with one another. They're with God in the middle of it, right? We take these vows with God in the middle. So, this commitment includes God in the middle. The beauty of it is He's always there for us to appeal to. His power, His grace, His mercy is always there for the two parties involved. And so when we, as Christians, stand before the minister as a representation of God in the middle of this particular moment, it's a, it's a situation where God is the glue and he's a part of it as well. Now, how do we, how do, we do this better? You fill in, flip over your handout in, in the back, and your first one is this. Make it personal. Make your relationship, your marriage relationship, very personal. Don't treat it like... Something that you just pull out of the closet you know, when you want to. Make it something very personal to you. And uh, that you're fully invested in. There's a, there's a situation in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Uh, we've worked through this book a couple of times in this church. If you remember, the, Nehemiah shows up at Jerusalem. The walls are in disrepair. They're torn down. It breaks his heart. Uh, so much so, he wants to rebuild the wall. He goes back to the king, gets permission, gets the resources, and he comes back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And he can't do it by himself. He has to have a relationship with the people who have to be committed to this as much as he is. And in Nehemiah 9.38, we read this, In view of all of this, we are making a binding agreement, that's a covenant, putting in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. Now, I counted 84 names when I went through the list there. That's a very personal commitment as this group of people stood before God and signed the marriage certificate, basically. That I am committed to see that these walls will go up. And they, it was offered to God. Here is our commitment. I think that's a beautiful picture of a marriage. The personal investment of signing it before you, God, and we're committed to this. And, uh, and so we make it personal. We don't try not to ever treat it as anything other than something very specific and special to the two of us. We're fully invested. God sees it as such a personal thing and that, you know, he warns us not for Christians not to marry someone that's not of the same faith. Someone that's not a believer. In 1 Corinthians 7.39, after he's had this talk about divorce and, and what the person who is left out of the divorce, the believer, how the freedom they have, he says, Paul says, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. He must belong to the Lord. Nehemiah, in the same, just one chapter over from the scripture I just read says something very similar. He says, we promise not to give our daughters to marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. Now, this is not talking about interracial marriage or any of that. It's talking about faith. Because Ruth was a Moabitess. She was welcomed in 
into Israel as full on, you know. And so it's this don't, like some kooks do, take this kind of scripture and misapply it, all right? It has nothing to do with that. And so, uh, but it does have to do with faith. It has to do with marrying someone that believes like you do. Now, he goes on in 2 Corinthians six fourteen and says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and the devil? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? He's trying to spare the Corinthians some pain. And maybe you're going to church with someone and you're thinking, this, this could be my mate. You know, this could be the person I'm going to marry. And they go to church and, you know, they seem to say all the right things. And they seem to act like they have the same values. But there's no promise in there. And you're not seeing really, you want to love them. You love them so much and you want to believe so much that they're the right person. That you kind of. Let things slip when you start noticing they don't have the convictions that you have. And then you marry. And then once you're married, the person who only had this surface relationship with God because they wanted you, they don't have to act like that anymore. Now, all of a sudden, they're behaving like they want to. And you're going, what the heck? You know, what happened to you? I thought you were a believer. Paul is trying to help. The Corinthians here, not to fall into that. It's important for us believers, for those of us who want to follow Jesus passionately with our life, that those that we marry and that we say we're going to spend our lives with share the same faith. If not, we're going to bring undue challenges and harm into our lives. And and so it's important if you're dating to find out just who you're dating do they have a passion for Jesus? You know, do they love Jesus? I mean, he's going to be the central party in this covenant that you make. And if he or she does not value that and doesn't have a relationship with that center cord, Jesus Christ, he won't honor it. She won't honor it. That's how personal this thing is. Listen, you, you want to live your whole life with this person, right? You want to be able to go to Christ together, go to God together when you hit these rough spots and appeal to him, appeal for him to help you. Yeah, I, gotta, I need to do a sermon on how to live with an unbeliever. And, you know, because a lot of people are married. You, you come to Christ later and your mate has not come to Christ yet. And there, there are ways to, to live and to honor your husband or your wife that's an unbeliever and to work toward seeing them come to Christ. But I don't have time for that now. So... So anyway, make it personal. Don't give up. Don't let your marriage just go. Or you're thinking about marrying. Make it personal. Secondly, make it public. Make it personal. Secondly, make it public. I think a wedding is important. I think it's important for you to stand before family and friends. Stand before people and declare your commitment to Christ and to one another in that moment. I mean, it's interesting that Jesus in John, the second chapter, verses 1 through 2, it says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. That's pretty interesting. They were evidently in that circle with that couple, 
and the families were. And so they were invited in, the disciples as well. That's really interesting to me. And uh, as you know, that's the first place Jesus did his miracle, right? He turned the water into wine, turned it into good wine, which to me is Jesus saying, hey, you know what? You should celebrate your wedding. You know, it should be, a, should be quite a moment. And just think of this. When Jesus returns, we Christians believe that one day Jesus is going to come back to earth, physically come back to earth. With him is going to come all of those, all of us who have died before. We're going to come with him. And it says that when he shows up on the earth, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. There's not going to be anything private about this wedding when he shows up. Right? And this is another thing. If somebody tells you Jesus has arrived and everybody doesn't know it, believe me, that's a kook. Don't listen to him. No way. When he comes back, when he arrives, everybody's going to know it because everybody's invited to the wedding. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. It's a big deal. And getting married is a big deal. It doesn't mean you have to spend tens of thousands of dollars you know, to, to make it real. But uh, it should be public. Your love for one another, your commitment for one another should be public. I mean, even our salvation, us coming to Christ, requires from us a public declaration of sorts. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, if you declare with your mouth, that's say it, right? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, say it, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There is something about saying it, saying words from, that you believe in your heart that creates something. And so you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. There's something important about saying it. In here this morning, maybe you haven't, you haven't responded to Christ publicly yet. Maybe you haven't stood up and went, I believe. I believe he's the Lord of all. I surrender to him. This is a great place to do it. This is kind of a safe place to do it, right? Because this is what we talk about. If we can't do it in here, how are we going to do it out there? So it's important to stand up. It's important to stand up and declare your love and your commitment to one another. To make a declaration. Make it public. Profess it. You know, go beyond the good intentions. Um, I had this thought that, and I'm, I hope I'm not blasphemous saying this, but I've been in trouble before. Um, I, I thought about a marriage like baptism, like a recommitment of faith for a couple. I thought, you know, what? how cool would it be if those of us who are married made a, co- you know, made a renewal of our vows, and then we were baptized together as a testimony to our allegiance to Christ and our love for one another? publicly in front of our church and we were baptized together as a renewal of our vows not just to one another but to him as well maybe I'm crazy but that's what kind of came to me I thought that'd be pretty cool you know that'd be a kind of a neat service don't you think if we did that so if, if I'm bordering on blasphemy somebody help me out and show me scripture afterwards I will listen hey who uh, who's been who's the most recently married couple in this church. Who got married the last month? 
this new year. Anybody in here? How about December 2019? November? October? September? August? July? June? All right. Well, here. I want you to go have a great meal on the church, you and your spouse, and have a night on us, okay? Congratulations. Awesome. Awesome. I love doing that. Your last feeling is this. Let's make it permanent. Make it personal. Make it public and make it permanent. Let's make it permanent. Maybe you remember uh, some of you a story I told of a brick mason that way back I was a contractor and we were building a church and the brick mason was way behind schedule. And so his name was Halbert. And I, I, I said, man, Halbert, we're not going to get this thing done on time if you don't pick it up. He said, yeah, I got some slackers, you know, masons. I got to get rid of some. And uh, there, that guy there, I've got to let him go because he shows up late every day. And so I said, okay. So I came back over the weekend. I came back on a Monday and rolled up. And the guy that he fired's up on the scaffold laying brick. And uh, Halbert pulls up, and I said, I thought you fired him. He said, I did. He said, uh, he won't leave. He said he couldn't afford to be fired. So he's, you know, he's working. I got to pay him, you know. So I thought, boy, that, here you go, not giving up. But this same guy, this same guy, a few weeks later, what a character this man was. He showed up on the job, and everybody was talking how their weekend was. And he said, yeah, I came home, and, man, my wife was had her suitcase out and she was throwing all her clothes in it. And he said, uh, well, what are you doing? She says, I've had it with you, man. I'm done. I'm done. I'm out of here. And so he said, I went to the closet, got my suitcase, threw it on the bed, started getting my clothes out, putting it in there. And she said, what do you think you're doing? And he said, I'm going with you. <laughs> I thought, now that's persistent, you know, and this, this guy was a real character. And, uh, you know, in our mind, I don't think anybody shows up at the altar in a church at all planning for things to be rough or things to fail. I understand that. But you know what? That decision to make it permanent has to be made over and over and over again, not just once. And um, if you want to live a radical life for Jesus Christ, live life married like that. Make that decision over and over, the two of you, over and over and over again. And um, I was having a conversation with someone in this church uh, probably 15 years ago now. There were some statistics that came out that marriage was kind of going the old way, that in the future people wouldn't get married. There was no reason to take vows. There was no reason to have a piece of paper because... It had just devalued. It had, you know, it come to this. Of course, that's not what's happened. It's still very viable. But uh, I told this person, I can't even remember who it was I was talking to, but I said, you know what? If that does happen, that does happen, that's all right. Because those of us who are Christians, those of us who believe in marriage before God, then when we walk around with each other with our wedding bands, when we're together and people look at us and go, What's that on your finger? And you go, it's a wedding band. And they go, what's a wedding? 
you get a great opportunity to share Jesus with them, to share that Jesus himself is wed to the church, that he loves his church. So we'll just use the world's failure as our platform to declare the grace and the mercy and the commitment of Christ and to one another. Of course, it hasn't gone that way, and I'm glad it hasn't. And uh, so three last things I want to give you under that to make it permanent. The one is like, renew your vows regularly. Renew your vows. I don't remember my vows, I'll be honest with you, because I wasn't thinking about but one thing. And it wasn't vows. <laughs> when I got, I've been a Christian for three months when I got married. And, uh, you know, I just was ready to get out of town with my lovely wife and uh, start our life together. If you have to write some up if you don't remember them, Send me an email. I'll send you the ones I use for weddings. Or create your own. And have Christ in the center of it. And every now and then, renew your vows. I read this story of this couple who had been married a very long time. Um, He eventually came down with ALS and she lost her husband. And it was a very tough time for them. But she told the counselor as she was working through her grief. She said, we had this tradition that every night when we climbed in bed, we would let our wedding bands touch each other as we were laying in bed. And then we would recite our wedding vows to one another while we laid in bed. They did that every single night until the day he got sick. Man, that's a beautiful thing. Renew your vows. Do it. Make it a habit. Your second thing is close the gap. You know, if there's a gap... This isn't in your handout. This is not, there are no charge for these three things. Or renew your vows. Close the gap between you. I mentioned this even last week. That is forgive, you know, receive forgiveness and keep creating celebrations, moments in your life. Uh, this is something I have to work on because I, I, I'm not a celebration. I just wasn't a big part of my life. And I regret that, that birthdays were never a big thing and, Anniversaries were never a big thing. They just, you just work. You know, you work. That's what you do. That's the way I was raised. You just work. You don't have time for some of this other stuff. You just work. You go. And I, you know, I kind of, it kind of saddens me that I didn't have put into me that to celebrate milestones and create moments in life where you can celebrate. And so, you know, close the gap. Uh, I read also in this same book I was reading, it said this couple had created their first year of marriage, what they called an anniversary journal. And for the first 10 years of their married life, they recorded their first apartment, what it was, what it looked like, their first house they owned, when they redecorated their house for the first time, the family dinners and who were there, you know, the holidays, who showed up, what they ate. They even recorded the first fights they had, how they worked through them. Uh, how tough it was. And they noticed that as they would go back and look in their journal, that the first year they fought about a lot of things. And by the third year in their journal, they were fighting about less. And by the fifth, it was down to just a few things. And they kept that 10-year journal as a history of their marriage that they could go back. I mean, that's a great idea. It doesn't have to be the first year. You can do it right now. You can start right now. If it's your second year, your third year, fourth year, 48th year, whatever, you can start. 
close the gap by creating celebration moments together. And lastly, this is a huge one. Take a deep breath. Look into your spouse's eyes and tell them you love them. Look in their eyes. Some of us have a hard time with this. I mean, here's how we do it. Uh, you know, I love you. Uh, yes. I love you. I do. I love you a lot. Well, you know what's going to happen because you got this thing, this facade of control. And the minute you look in that person's eyes that you love and you look deep into their eyes and you say it, you are going to lose it. And that's all right. It's okay. It's all right to lose it with tears of thankfulness and gratitude and hopefulness for the next part of life. And to say, I love you. Song of Solomon or Song of Songs is a great book about marriage. There are things in that book, some of you, it would blow your mind. I tell you, it's in there, right? There's a lot of stuff in this book. Song of Solomon, I think we were married about eight years maybe. I discovered the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon in the Old Testament is the story of Solomon's love for his betrothed wife, one he was going to marry. It is very exciting. Solomon says something, then what I learned to call the Shulamite, Shulamith, his future wife said, then there's a choir that sings. It's like a play that's played out. So the first time I saw it, Karen and I, I said, let's act this out. So, like, I'd jump up on the bed, and I'd sing Solomon's part. And then she would jump up on the bed, and she would start, she would do, we didn't get through the whole book. Um, <laughs> neither will you. <laughs> there are things in this Bible that are really wonderful, let me tell you. You know, create moments. Look into one another's eyes. Tell, tell your mate that you love them. Let the guard down. Just let it down. Let it down for a while. Invite the other person in. Right on into your life as they invite you in. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. Thank you that there is nothing that's gone before us, Lord, that you can't give grace for. And there's nothing that's gone before us, Lord, that we can't have hope for tomorrow because that's a day that hasn't been experienced yet. Today is not the last day. It's just the first day. And so, Lord, in our relationships, would you help us pull down, Lord, those facades, those protections so that we can look deeply into one another's life Give ourselves fully. Forgive fully. Resolve our issues together, Lord. Work together. And experience this covenant love that you have for us. So we can have that for one another. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Bring your grace and your mercy, Lord. Our marriages. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Okay, I have one more question for you guys. I'm going to sing a song. We'll be out of here. Who's been married the longest? Anybody 50 years? One, two, wow. 55 years? 
have an evening on us. All right. Amen. That's awesome. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.